welcome to the Saturday Night South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Aaron Guerra. Marler, we are still playing a national championship on Monday. I didn't say which Monday, but it will indeed be on a Monday last I heard. Is what so? What is the latest with that? Because I will lose my absolute effing mind if this game is postponed because of Ohio State COVID. So the latest that that I saw was Ohio State denied that it was requesting to have the game postponed and that apparently it was from the Big Ten League office and then the Big Ten League office apparently said no that wasn't on us either and both athletic directors are trying to come up with a solution not a solution but trying to still figure out the best possible way to be able to to play i i take that with a grain of salt whenever the big 10 says that it does something because that usually as we learned this summer that doesn't really mean anything everything just kind of leaks out of the big 10 that people want it to so i don't know let's just hope they're playing a national championship on monday yeah i would hope so i mean it would be uh I just I can't think of many other ways that you'd be able to bend the rules at this point for Ohio State if you had to postpone the national championship. So, I mean, they could figure out other ways to delay the season for Ohio State. Let's let's create another rule to benefit the Buckeyes, shall we? <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's let's come up with something. There hasn't been enough yet. The Big Ten championship wasn't enough being able to have a season for Ohio State. Which, let's be honest, if the Big Ten didn't have a team starting off in the top ten to start the year, they probably do what the Pac-12 did. Let's that's. Very, very likely. But Ohio State is putting everybody on hold, it appears. We have a lot of national championship talk today. We have two interviews that we did. A little divide and conquer. Talk to Barrett Salee. I believe that's the first time that Barrett has ever been on this podcast. At least the first time that he has been on since we have been doing this podcast. Um, and then also a guy that I know pretty well by the name of Ryan O'Gara, my brother, uh, joined us to talk all things Ohio State. He's been covering the Big Ten this year and last year as well, and he has seen every minute that Ohio State has played. So caught up with both of them. So we have a lot of great national championship coverage as well. We, of course, are going to break down to all of our normal picks, all of that stuff. We have a Heisman Trophy to talk about. We have Tennessee doing a very Tennessee thing to talk about um, and just kind of being a dumpster fire. And we, there are a few things that we just kind of wanted to clean up that we were talking right before we came on. We're like, all this coaching news and guys coming back, it's sort of been tough to keep track of, but I feel like we should, you know, you made the point, we should just probably talk about some of this and you're, you're absolutely right because we've gotten some big announcements in the last 24 hours. So in other words, this was originally just going to be a national championship podcast, <laughs> and then we had a lot of other stuff to talk about. So no shortage of topics today. Before we get to everything, Marler, if you are not starting off 2021 with some Texas Pete, I, I don't know at this point what else we can do for you other than to say you're doing it wrong. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, guys, uh, we're going to keep it short and sweet like we always do, or we're going to keep it short and Pete and, and just tell you right now, go to the store, grab yourself a bottle of Texas Pete, inject it directly in your veins and, and add a little flavor in your life. Okay. Um, I, there's nothing else really, you know, to say besides that. And I, I tell you what, on Monday night, uh, I think the story of that game, we'll get to it later, but you know, those, those defensive lines for each team, they can be bringing heat, uh, in the backfield for those quarterbacks and, and trying to be putting some pressure on, uh, on Mac and Justin Fields. That's nothing like the heat that's going to be brought earlier that day, probably several times that day with the Texas Pete that I'm going to put on literally everything, uh, mainly out of good luck. Uh, I can't wait for it. Can't wait for it. Go get yourself a bottle today. Um, yeah, our friends at Texas Pete. Currently, I think three bottles in the fridge right now. So I'm getting up to your status. Getting close. Getting really, really close. The Heisman Trophy. 
this was two nights ago. I guess by the time people are listening, it's two and a half it nights ago. Eight so. months ago, apparently. <laughs> Goodness gracious. And what's happened in the world in the last couple <laughs> days, it certainly does feel like that. Devontae Smith, first first receiver to win the awards and Desmond Howard in 1991. I like Devontae Smith a little bit more than Desmond Howard. I'll just come out and say it. I don't care. First non-quarterback slash running back to win the award since Charles Woodson, 1997. Um, don't ask anyone at CNN to relay that information because I think they said like Charles Woodson played in the late 60s. So <laughs> yeah, that's get your sports from here, not there, is what I'm saying. Did you see Devonte Smith's dad? Because I am convinced Devonte is a clone, like not not a child of his father, but a clone built in a lab to play football and just be the exact same human being as his dad. So I did not. Uh, I, I mean, I saw him because I saw him like speaking all that good stuff, but I didn't really pay that close of attention to it. Um, I mean, just you know, we got we got two little pups running around here now. It's just like constant. I think there was like a game on at the same time as the Heisman thing. We were flipping back and forth until uh, the end. But yeah, I, I did not see it. Trevor Lawrence's brother, though. I mean, I think everybody oh saw him. <laughs> Whoever, that's, okay, that's a look. That, that is that is something we should get into because the like, I'm not trying to make fun of the appearance of any of these players. Okay, so I don't want people to take offense to this because people get offended by everything nowadays. But I did have some things that I couldn't help but laugh at. Like, like whoever told Kyle Trask to do that goatee that was, like, very salt life, goes to a wedding. He's um, been doing it all year, though. Not like that. Like, he curved the edges. He got it, yeah. like, done. He got his hair did. Um, yeah. and, then, and then not even just Trevor Lawrence, because nobody in that entire room at Clemson seemed like they were having a good time. Like, everyone seemed, no. like, miserable for whatever reason. But the aesthetic and the interior decor, I, like, I hate to get on a high horse here because I don't know how to really do any interior design. Like, I, I wouldn't trust my taste. But all beige, beige wood panel with beige seats and an orange orange tiger paw and everything, that was atrocious. It looked like, it looked like going to court. It was pretty ugly. It did feel very, very somber uh, in the Clemson room. And, you know, maybe that's because they knew that Trevor Lawrence wasn't going to win the award. He still somehow ends up getting... Um, a whole lot of first place votes. Devontae Smith ends up getting twice as many first place votes as Trevor Lawrence. Still too many for, for Trevor Lawrence. And I know this is something that, that we've been in agreement on, especially the last couple weeks, just trying to figure out what in the world is the infatuation with voting him as your as your Heisman Trophy winner? Because I, I sort of agree that the theory about you know media members who looked at Kyle Trask the whole year and then when Kyle Trask fell apart, they're like, oh crap. What are we going to do? We got to turn to quarterback X. And oh, well, Trevor Lawrence just won a conference championship, and surely he's worthy of it. But man, there was some 20th century thinking going on. I couldn't believe that there were media members who actually admitted that they voted for Trevor Lawrence. I would have gone into hiding. Yeah, I mean, I told you guys a week ago that I I, I legit thought there was going to be, I, I thought it was going to be a lot closer than than it was because yeah. um, there were so many people that like you know, like you said, media members that came out and, and openly said that they were going to vote for him. i tell you what, and it's not just Clemson fans either. If you if you want to see the support he had and, and people's thoughts on it, and usually I would say don't uh, check this out, but like in this case, you know, look at the comment sections on some of these things because people really went to bat for him and, and really wanted to defend this whole thing of it being a, you know, like he's going to be drafted higher than Mac and Trask, which is true. Cool. He's a be- Yeah, right. He's a better player. He would start over both of them. Uh, cool. He beat Bama his freshman year. He's 34-2. and two. All of those things are Great. all very accurate and valid things. They also don't matter at all in this Heisman Trophy uh, ceremony. And I'll tell you what, this this is – I've been, like, hard on, I think, people 
like in general with with like voting, especially like the playoff committee and all that kind of stuff this year. But I really and, and like if I had to do a top twenty five, and you know what, I'll admit something right now. I had to vote for the All American team, and I got way too into a deep dive of of like PFF defensive grades, and I voted for two Bama defensive backs, and neither of them were Patrick Sertain, which what? is an out like just outrageously terrible oversight like overlooking oversight idiotic whatever you want to call it because i'm looking at these grades i'm like man no one's even thrown on josh job all year he's only given up like 14 yards after the catch and like then this is this and and like i i have no idea what i was thinking it was a a horribly stupid decision okay that being said i know that it can happen with me some of these people that vote for like things that actually matter like the heisman you i think we really need to take a look at like at who we're letting do this because like it's not it's not just even the first place votes right so trevor had 222 mac had 138 um kyle trask had 61 Najee had 16 and Devonte, like you said had more than double hit 447 i can't imagine looking at kyle trask throughout the season and not thinking he had a better year than trevor lawrence i i, I can't i can't imagine that I, I can't even really imagine the Najee thing but when you look at the the thing that really stood out the most to me how about the ballots where these players were left off completely? Like, and the way they have to vote is, is a top three, right? So you, you fill yeah, out your yeah. ballot, and it, you, you fill out one, two, three. Devontae Smith had 50% of the first place votes, but only but was left off of 20% of ballots. I, Kyle Trask left, was left off of 50%. How could 50% of voters have watched this season and watch the numbers that Kyle Trask put up and the incredible accomplishments against an all-SEC schedule. And even in the SEC championship game, I know they lost by less than a touchdown, but three touchdowns, no interceptions, was was over, like, you know, consistent consistent with what his, like, season average was for, for completion percentage. How would half of the voters not have him in the top three? I have no idea. Unless you decide, hey, I'm not voting for a wide receiver, I'm just voting for a quarterback— yeah, I mean, there, there is definitely flawed logic that is used. My brother, for example, covered Ball State football for three years. He had a Heisman vote for three years. My brother's like, I didn't vote for the Heisman once. I didn't watch uh, all these different teams. I didn't have a national perspective. I didn't watch 16 hours of college football on a given Saturday. I was the beat reporter covering Ball State football. Why do I have a Heisman vote? Like, why does why does that matter? Just because we're the newspaper in town. The people that vote for the Heisman, some of them, I, I know that you don't watch college football. Because if you're voting for Trevor Lawrence based on that, you're voting for it based on name and name alone. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad by saying this right now because this has nothing to do with the point I just made. But Patrick Sertan's the number one quarterback But that came out the next day, Connor. It literally was updated the (laughs) next day. This was like like an absolute, like, Uh, like stereotypical and just just... Oh, perfect example of me overthinking it and doing this deep dive like late at night. I'm like, oh my gosh, look at all these numbers I'm finding. And I swear to God, the next day after I submitted it, they updated everything. And Patrick Sertan was the number one overall defensive player in the country. Like overall, I was like, you got to be effing kidding me, pro football focus. Two targets uh, in the North, in the Notre Dame game, and he allowed one catch for six yards. Right. So uh, just defensive MVP. So that stupid game. on my yeah, end. He's pretty good. Pretty good. Um, by the way, did you see that column about uh, it was something to the effect of media's dislike of Dabo cost Trevor Lawrence the yeah. Heisman? <laughs> I don't. I mean, that is. I mean, people really did think that he deserved to win the Heisman, which is just weird. I just uh, I didn't really get it. And like, you whatever. know what they probably thought? They thought 
I, I don't want to see Trevor Lawrence go on to the NFL and not have a Heisman Trophy. Well, that's yeah, the problem with a lifetime award. achievement award. Yeah, that's and that's that's foolish because you eliminate so much of the field. Joe Burrow never. Uh, if you use that school of thought, then Joe Burrow would have never had a chance to win the 2019 Heisman Trophy, despite the fact that he had the best individual scene that we individual season we've ever seen from a quarterback. So that's why that logic is stupid. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I just I don't get it, and I don't understand. How, like you know, you know when it is okay to apply that logic. I remember a couple years ago when they they invited as like the fifth person the quarterback from yes. Navy. Mm-hmm. And he had like this incredible career, and he's obviously at like a military school, and and all of the things that go along with that. That was awesome. That was really cool, and it seemed like a deserving invite. But we'll cap it at that. Like it's the invite. Like I just I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, just bizarre. But the good thing that we did see from the Heisman ceremony was Devonte get this moment. Yeah, and I, I thought he deserved it. We've talked about this a lot. I love that we could actually get to this place in the college football world where we could actually recognize greatness because that's what we we really saw this year. I loved seeing what he had to say about any kid who wasn't the biggest, the strongest, keep pushing. Great message because Devontae Smith, I'm, I would have to look this up. He might be the lightest Heisman Trophy winner ever. And I realized <laughs> Doug no Flutie way. won the Heisman. No. Doug Flutie was like a buck 80, I think. Yeah, when but he everyone won the Heisman back Trophy. in like the 30s was like, like 5'10, 145 pounds and playing like nose fullback which was in a real position what's uh what's what's your 1935 character uh, horace <laughs> yeah. crazy legs mcgee yeah okay. scuffy mcgee i just that's, yeah that's I, but i mean like i don't know i don't know when the modern era would be but yeah Devonte has to be the smallest one yeah gotta be up there slim reaper definitely a worthy nickname for Devonte smith and also that cool message that uh, he had with his former teacher and what he was able to do to be able to get her on the sideline. Cool to see some of that stuff come out. Just seems like a just a, an awesome human being from everything you've heard about him over the course of the last four I, years and someone who has worked his tail off to get to this point. Real quick, and I don't want to take away from Devontae's moment because you guys know how excited I was when it happened. Um, and pretty cool stat here outside of Reggie Bush because his Heisman was taken away, which is idiotic and it's a whole other thing. But since 2000, only three players that were not quarterbacks have won the Heisman Trophy. All of them were from Bama, apparently. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, the other thing is, and I'm going to give LSU a little credit here, and it's probably Ooh. not the right time to do it, but Slim Reaper is a great nickname. Slim Reaper was, was Miles Brennan's nickname last year. It's, it's been thrown around a lot. I know Kevin Durant like, didn't want it, apparently. But now it's it's pretty much up for grabs, I think. Yeah. And I think knowing Devonte, he went up and he just grabbed it. So way too early Heisman odds for twenty twenty one. I love it when these come out. I absolutely love it. I think it's I think it's hilarious to look back on and see some of the names that that show up early and how this progresses. But um, this came out via sports betting dime. Uh, Spencer Radler, Heisman favorite, seven to one. DJ Ui Angalale. 9 to 1, JT Daniels 11 to 1, Bryce Young 13 to 1, Jaden Daniels, that's going to get really confusing next year. Arizona State quarterback 14 to 1, also Keaton Slovis 14 to 1, Sam Howell at 14 to 1, Derek King 15 to 1, a non QB 15 to 1. That's what they left it at. And then the Indiana quarterback Michael Penix Jr at 16 to 1. See, these are I the look ones at I that. Got. The the ones we actually posted had Rattler at uh, plus 450, Sam Howell at plus 550. Um, Ooh. Uh, DJ from Clemson, Keaton Slovis, Derek King. Bryce Young was plus 1,200. 
Um, Kyron Williams and Brian Robinson, uh, the Notre Dame running back, and then Bama's backup running back. Because I, I, the only reason I bring that up is because I was shocked that JT Daniels – JT Daniels has to be the – the like have to, has to have the best odds, I would think, from an SEC player for the Heisman uh, next year. Which he does, yeah. 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 Um, I look at that. I'm a Sam Howell apologist. I kind of always have been. Um, I don't know if, if he's going to be able to replicate some of his same production yeah, um, just with the some of the per game. They lose they lose a ton of talent. I'm not crazy about those odds necessarily. The one dark horse that I kind of think about here, and you're a lot of people are going to hear this and they're going to hate this because it wasn't one of the names I just mentioned. Casey Thompson. Who's Casey Thompson, you ask? He's the guy that's been the backup at Texas for Sam Ellinger all this time. Texas, not saying Texas is back, but Texas does have Steve Sarkeesian. And last I checked, he did pretty well with a guy named Mac Jones and a guy named Tua Tungavailoa. Um, they also do have a little bit of talent coming back at the receiver position. How about Texas bragging about Sark's Heisman accomplishment? That was great. I, Good for you, Texas. I'll tell you what, this isn't, this isn't rumored or anything like that, but I, I, Bama fans need to just go ahead and prepare themselves for Bryce Young going to Texas. I, like, I, I just I would not be surprised at all if that happened. And so... That's why I haven't heard of Casey. What did you say? Casey Hampton or Hamilton? Casey Thompson. Casey Thompson. Casey Thompson. Um, I, if I was putting money on it, like as of today, I think the best value and, and honestly the best pick, I know he's coming off an injury, is Derek King. If he's able to return from the torn ACL. If, if, at 15-1, to 1, that's that's not too bad. You know how I feel about betting on Heisman mm-hmm. favorites in the in the offseason. It's it's a it's throwing your money away. It's lighting your money Literally on fire. Great. Don't do it, but... Yeah, the De'Ara King thing. I am also very interested as well. Um, I bet there will be a lot more action if he's able to progress and be full go by the time that fall camp rolls around. All right. Heisman in the books. Very, very different note here. What in the world is going on at Tennessee, man? This is – I feel like we've said that over the years. we said that at various times, and that can really be a number of things. But we find out on Thursday morning via, I think it was Mark Schlebach and Adam Rittenberg, that Tennessee put a freeze on all hiring and extensions while investigating uh, these recruiting violations, which that all came out the day of the regular season finale. No extensions are being rewarded. You have guys like T. Martin and Brian Niedermeyer who have deals that run out at, at the end of the month. They have two positions that they need to hire still. For an on for Quarterback. for on field positions, um, which is not good, not good. Um, Eric Gray had reportedly missed that final game because of a compliance issue. Uh, ESPN cited source, or they they said in that story as well that that's that's what it was and why he didn't play. This is just weird. The mass exodus: Ty Chandler, DeAndre Johnson, J.T. Shroud, Austin Pope. All these guys transferred. I'm scratching my head trying to figure this one out. When you saw this storyline, what was your first initial thought? And maybe today more so than what we saw like a few weeks ago when this was first being reported. So I said on this pod a couple weeks ago that like I had spoken to a former coach, not like a head coach, but a former position coach at Tennessee. Phil Longo. Phil Longo. Oh, never mind. Um, a former coach at Tennessee, and, and he was a, a player there as well and a first-round draft pick and is still, you know um, – has close ties to the the situation, all that good stuff. And and he said, and I, I brought it up, and I think it was one of those things that kind of people thought I was crazy, but if, if they could figure out a way where they would be out of any kind of liability or responsibility and having to pay the rest of his contract because mm-hmm. of these recruiting violations and because of these, these new, like, you know, I don't want to call them infractions yet, but, but we'll call them, 
accusations or whatever, right? Um, if they could figure out a way where they would be, like, you know, scot-free from having to pay that, then they were absolutely going to move in a different direction with, with the head coach. And, you know, a couple weeks went by, and it, I just kind of assumed with the timetable and, and when people usually make these hires, and I, I don't know if there's ever a good time to, to fire a coach and then hire a new one because, you know, even look at the stuff at Texas and, and how that impacts, like, the recruiting class that you just promised, you know, you're going to be here for another four years or whatever. Um, but I, I was very surprised by the timing. I'm not at all surprised about what's happening because that's that's what I had heard was going to be happening, you know, weeks ago. Does this feel a little bit? I'm not sure if we if we brought this exact reference up. A little bit like the Jim McElwain stuff at Florida, where you felt like administration was, and not necessarily the athletic director, because I think Philip Fulmer is the one who wants to keep Jeremy Pruitt, obviously, because he gave him the extension. He wants to see this higher work, but there are people around him that while it might look like self-sabotage to have some of this stuff leak, if it can rid you of, like you said, paying that buyout because firing a coach with cause is different. And if it can save you 13 million bucks, and if it gives you a free pass to be able to go out and get Hugh Freeze, all of a sudden, I mean, it's like, wait, recruiting violations? Who cares? What, we're gonna, you think they're gonna give us a bowl ban for something like this? This was self-reported, we're good. And maybe Tennessee's not even going to a bowl game next year anyway, so who really cares? But that, that whole dynamic of understanding that Fulmer is not gonna be the guy that's gonna fire Jeremy Pruitt unless he absolutely has to, unless he is probably told, hey, you're gonna be gone if you don't make this decision, makes me believe what you were saying is is there's a lot to it. And I, I wonder about Tennessee having this potential out with Hugh Freeze and yeah. knowing that that could be sitting there. And Hugh Freeze, it didn't materialize at South Carolina. It didn't materialize at Auburn. All signs point to Hugh Freeze having major interest in Tennessee. Yeah. And getting back to the state where he grew up in a program that, that obviously he has some close ties to. Uh, this whole thing just smells fishy, and I don't know how it ends for Jeremy Pruitt, but it's hard to envision a scenario in which everything is just forgotten and he's able to kind of start 2021 with a clean slate. Yeah, well, and, and Chris Lowe coming out, of, of all people, and, and saying, you know, who's like a Tennessee grad, and obviously I think one of like the more respected names, and especially not just in SEC media, but like, you know, college football media nationally. Um, you know, he's the one I think that reported this week that it's going to be hard for him to keep his job or, or something along those lines. It's not the exact quote, but it's, it's pretty much the essence of the quote. And like the, I don't want to call it a mass exodus, but like the timing of the people that are leaving, we're not even talking about chair Garantano, yeah. leaving, which I don't think anyone's going to really miss him. That's, that's probably best for both parties, but that's another person. That's at least a big name in that program that's leaving. And what, what it seems like to me, or what this reminds me of is I remember like my college coaches always say, like he would be like super hard on me. Um, about stuff. And I remember getting upset about it one time and he's like, you don't need to be, you know, like I'm hard on you because I want you to succeed. Like you need to be worried when I stop trying to coach you up and when I stop caring about trying to like invest in this. And that's what this reeks up to me is like just kind of throwing their hands up over it and, and like letting it play out, kind of hoping it almost plays out a certain way because they, they just had enough of the situation. And I think Philip Fulmer, I disagree with you like that he wants to keep Pruitt on as a hire. I think Fulmer, and most ADs in, in this day and age, like, I, I get, like, they want to be proven right that they made that hire. They, they made that extension uh, or gave them that extension, and, and that was their decision, and they wanted to look good. But at the same time, like, I'm sure they're really tired of hearing this fan base 
complain constantly and, and be frustrated as they should be um, and, and want a change. And so I think that it, at this point, it's probably a better look to, to get rid of them and, and, and hire someone new, make a splash hire with Hugh Freeze and get, you know, some, some fresh life and, uh, you know, kind of like breathing the program again. I don't know. I think th- I think there's a stubbornness with Fulmer. When you hear the comment that he was making near the end of the season yeah. where he's comparing Jeremy Pruitt's start to Johnny Major's start, you're like, <laughs> oh, you, you don't get it. You don't understand that this isn't how this works. And there's always that stubbornness with with guys in that position, um, just people who have pretty much been told their entire lives, your decisions are, are the reason you're at this point. Philip Fulmer's personnel decisions more times than not worked out, and they were able to get him to a certain place in his career. And I think it's tough to step back and realize that something isn't working. Right now, this feels like just a, a, an ugly ending, an ugly ending, and I don't know what, it, what is going to play out this offseason, but... We're going to have a lot more to talk about with well, this. The, star, the story feels far from over. I tell you what, if they fire him, you come back to Tuscaloosa right now, Jeremy, and just with open arms. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. What, will there be a recruiting stench, though? Will he get a show cause? How's that all going to work if they're, the if they're able to actually uncover like, this? It, it just, whatever, just let it happen. I don't know if the NCAA were if this were Mizzou, the NCAA would have already <laughs> yeah. given Mizzou like a two-year bull ban right. and been like, "We haven't investigated this, but we're just assuming that you have done the absolute worst thing in the right. world." So maybe maybe Tennessee can benefit from that. The coaching carousel might not be allowed to spin at Tennessee right now, but it is spinning around the SEC. I feel like every day we've been getting significant coaching news. Find yeah. out that Auburn has hired Mike Bobo and Derek Mason. Uh, Brian Harson loading up on the SEC experience. And Will Friend, which, yeah, he's been there yeah. for twelve Gosh. days in Columbia. Like, like he left, he left with like the same quickness and and attitude. Like I, I used to do. Like you know, when I go from Thanksgiving, like okay, I've had enough. I got to go. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit like Will Arnett last year um, at at Syracuse before yeah. Mike Leach ultimately um, uh, was able to poach him. Zach Arnett. Why did I say Will Arnett? Um, but this is interesting to see now, even at a place like LSU, where we find out Steve Ensminger is retiring and they make what looks like just the most get us back to glory hire that I think I've ever seen. And I'm not saying that this person isn't qualified or anything like that, but the joke in the NFL the last few years has been, oh, have you ever had a conversation with Sean McVay? If so, here's a job to become a coordinator. Um, that, that. That is what it feels like with Joe Brady now, where uh, they hire the Panthers quarterback coach, Jake Peets, and they're, they basically, they also hire, uh, I think it's DJ Mangus. Is it Mangus? I don't know. Like that, yeah. But yeah, so they go after a couple of guys who have had close ties to Joe Brady and under the assumption of, hey, do, do what Joe Brady did. Um, please, that, that would be great. We, we really need that right now. And I get it because it's kind of the same thing that like what Kentucky did. It's essentially... A not necessarily a big time splashy hire, but you get you know an up and coming offensive mind, not necessarily have to pay an arm and a leg. And if it ends up hitting like Joe Brady did, then obviously you're in business in a way that I think you know you would you'd pay whatever price. So interesting to see LSU kind of go in that route, but a lot of a lot of jobs that are still going around in the SEC right now, it feels like. Yeah, well and and um I'm I'm pretty sure that those those two were recommended though from I think Coach O reached out to Joe Brady and and was exactly so yeah. <laughs> which at least at least he did that like like the optics of it yeah like it's it's I don't I don't I'm not gonna call it like a reach because 
people might have thought it was a reach to go get Brady in the first place. And, and the look yeah. what he was able to do in that offense. And, you know, I'm not saying that that season was like necessarily lightning in a bottle, but it's just hard to, you know, like kind of clone that same kind of production and, and coaching and players and all that kind of stuff. But, but I love the fact that Coach O is, I don't want to say going to the well, but, but going with what worked. You know what I mean? Like Bo Pelini was not someone he wanted to hire, right? I think that was like pretty obvious. Um, and I, I think that besides that hire, when we've seen Coach O do his like due diligence and and research and all that kind of stuff, he's made really good hires over the course of his his tenure there at LSU. Also, Joe Brady yeah, like interviewed for the Falcons head coaching job today. He's thirty one years old, three years younger than me, Gosh. and I would absolutely be okay and 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 absolutely excited if he was the head coach for the Falcons. Yeah, the the Coach O thing too with uh, with Matt Canada. He didn't want Matt right. Canada. He wanted Lane Kiffin, and then he ultimately whiffed, and it was like, ah, we'll get this guy that basically runs all these pre-snap motions down until it hits one at the play clock and then just hopes that it fools the defense, and it usually doesn't. Um, but, yeah, there, there are a lot of, I think, moves that in the last week could have major significance. Barry Odom staying at Arkansas, yeah. something that we talked about a lot throughout this season. Would he get poached by one of the bigger programs that has a need at coordinator, at maybe an LSU or a Florida or something like that, or an Alabama? Could Barry Odom be attractive Good for Arkansas for being able to, to keep him happy. Everybody kind of saw that the tweet that was thrown out there with uh, with Hunter Juracek, the athletic director there. And that, that, I think, is something that Arkansas fans are really happy about, on top of the fact that they've got a whole bunch of seniors that decided to take advantage of, yeah. of that year of eligibility, Grant Morgan being one of them as well. Some of the guys who are returning and leaving in the SEC, we're going to forget a few here. So if we leave some guys out, it's not because of negligence. There's just been a lot over the course of the last week or so. JT Daniels being the big one that is coming back. Find out today that Jordan Davis and Zacoby McLean, two guys that are huge, huge, big-time contributors for their respective defenses. Obviously, Jordan Davis on the Georgia defensive line and Zacoby McLean, the leading tackler for Auburn. Big, big announcements for those programs. Yeah. So, one, Jordan Davis. I'm so excited that we get another year with Jordan Davis. Same. He's the best. Um, what, like, out, outside of Tuscaloosa, my absolute favorite player in the SEC. Just just so much fun to watch and so damn good. Um, Zacoby McClain not only led Auburn in tackles, led the SEC in tackles. And I think... Um, Did he really? Wow. If, if, you're, if you're looking at, like, like, I think Georgia... JT Daniels coming back is the biggest piece to a puzzle in, in like for any team in the conference, maybe the country, honestly, for people coming back, unless, I don't know, Ian Book comes back for his 18th year. But I think with what he has around him on that offense, that is a huge, huge pickup, um, you know, for him to stay another year in Athens. The other side of that, you look at Auburn, especially for, like, like the coaching standpoint, I know they lost a lot. They lost all their receivers. Um, you don't think Bo Nix is ever going to start again. The offensive line has been pretty bad uh, consistently. We don't know if Tank Tank Bigsby, I'm assuming he's going to stay, but he's kind of hinted on social media that he might leave, blah, 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 blah. On the defensive side of the ball, having the SEC leading tackler come back um, and also having Smoke Monday come back, and then on yep. top of that, getting Derek Mason as your defensive coordinator, that is a fantastic hire for a defensive coordinator. And and I think from a defensive standpoint, that is a f- incredible, incredible way to start the offseason, especially for a first-year coach. The SEC West, that number three spot, the battle for it, it, it could be really wild. And 
I'm not saying this is definitely going to happen, but there could be a very 2014-like feel in the SEC West where I think in the past we've looked and said, oh, Arkansas, cellar dweller. Uh, I think Arkansas is on the up and up. I think Mississippi State is on the up and up for the reasons that we brought up. I, I think Ole Miss, with all that they have returning still, even with losing Elijah Moore, you still have Jerry Neely and John Rice Plumley and and Braylon Sanders back, and, and they're still going to be really talented and good on the offensive side of the ball with Matt Corral. I look at all of these moves, and Jeff Levy staying at Ole Miss, another significant move. They get him to an extension. I, I look at this division, and I say to myself, all right, Alabama's probably still going to be heads and shoulders above in terms of preseason expectations, right? That that we can pretty much pencil in at this point. They'll, they'll lose a lot, but they'll, they'll still get the benefit of the doubt in, in that regard, and that's just what you would come to expect. You'd probably have A&M at that two spot because, yes, they're going to lose. They lose Kellen Mond, who just announced today that he is going to the NFL. Don't laugh when I say that, people. Kellen Mond could have a future in this day and age with modern offenses. You just never know. I think that AM, a team that has something like 11 of the 12 guys who caught a pass this year, are coming back for that team, which is just an absurd thought. On top of getting Cameron Buckley back, Baylor Cup, if he can actually stay healthy and not have a preseason injury, that's another addition that they get. So you probably say AM is the two spot, but then other than that, you kind of look around and you're like, wait a minute. This real feels really, really up for grabs with what we saw from LSU and Auburn this past year. I don't think we can say for certainty at this point, at least, that, oh, yeah, they're definitely going to be a top 10 team, which is essentially what you have to be if you're like the number two team in the West at this point. So I look at three through seven in the West, and there might not be a more interesting division in all of college football. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, it seems way too early to even get into that, and, and I, I really what it seems like we're headed for and I really hope that we're not is just another year of Bama Georgia on a collision course because Florida is going to lose a lot of talent on on offense. Sure. Um you know they are they are going after Eric Gilbert and you saw what they just did with Kyle Pitts so I think they would have a legitimate shot at possibly landing him. Um but like they they're going to lose a lot. We can talk about the rest of the east like Kentucky. I think it I love neighbor Terry Wilson but a change at quarterback is an upgrade at quarterback. And Terry Wilson transferring. Surprising. Yeah. Surprising to see that. But yeah, they, they are returning a lot too. And with a new offensive coordinator, potentially Joey Gatewood slash Bo Allen. You're right. There could be an upgrade. Absolutely. But in the West, especially, and the very other thing is, is good news. They the, Arkansas did kind of fall off towards the end of the season. Granted, they did have to play Florida and Bama with those offenses. Um and obviously LSU and, and all that. Like, but given up 34.9 points per game. That was like the big thing that I was looking at at the beginning of the season because they they had given up nearly, you know, five touchdowns a game for the last three straight years, and, and they ended up getting back up towards that number. Um, so hopefully they can improve on that. But the rest of the West, I, I hate Kellen Mond leaving just because he had such an incredible season. Like, it makes sense for him to go, but, you know, he, he will just never get the credit he deserved having 23 total touchdowns and, and three interceptions this year. Had a fantastic season. LSU is unbelievably young, unbelievably yeah. young, and and on offense they've got talent everywhere. I I know Eric mm-hmm. Gilbert's leaving, but they have talent everywhere, and, and he's done a, a really good job of recruiting at a high level. Um, I, I think that LSU will be not back to where they were in 2019 necessarily, but they will be. It, it wouldn't shock me at all if they won the division next year. Hmm, that's interesting. They are very young. But you have a guy like Keishon Butte who emerges down the stretch as a true freshman, and you think to yourself, oh, that's a team that can put up a lot of points, especially if Max Johnson slash Miles Brennan can continue what was actually a pretty prolific position 
in the year 2020 and with this new offense. Yeah, you just never well, know. Think um, about but the I, I think a lot of these losing. Like like they they've everyone else says like they reload or whatever, but like the production they're losing is oh man, that I mean, it, it has to be more than they've ever lost under Saban with like that from just from a scoring standpoint. It could it could definitely be with Najee, Devontae, Mac Jones, uh, Miller Forstall. Is he, a, is he an eighth-year player? Probably. Feels like it. Um, but you're, you're right because, you know, Waddle as well. But you would, you know, you would still probably assume that Bama is, with how dominant it was this year, it'd be probably tough. They would have to have a series of, like, a bunch of transfers, a bunch of injuries for them probably not to start off as the, the division favorite. Right. That would be my guess. But... Yeah, we'll see how that plays out as well. All right, speaking of Bama, national championship, it's still allegedly happening. We have picks. We have over-unders. Bama is a seven-and-a-half-point favorite, so keep that in mind. Uh, that line, of course, subject to change, likely will change, especially if we find out a certain Jalen Waddle is playing. A little more on that in a bit. The over-under I have is the amount of times that Cardale Jones is referenced in this game. Given that, you know, the 2014 connection, of course, and then this was some of the stuff that happened recently. I set the over-under at 1.5. Yeah, 1.5. And I, you know what? I, I, I do want to say something for a minute, and, and I will be fully transparent and honest with you guys that this is coming from someone that is is a close friend of mine um, that has become a, a really good friend of mine throughout the past year or so. So I am going to defend this person. We all saw the tweet that came out from... Uh, Kristen Saban and I the reaction that happened afterwards I just I just like feel like it needs to be known the the reaction the visceral reaction that the the comments that were made about her kid finding her personal email and, and sending her like like some of the worst and most horrific things I've ever read which is saying a lot um was way worse way worse than the tweet um but I will say and she actually brought this up too Cardell Jones did did Roaster pretty good, um, and that that was a pretty funny tweet from him. Cardell Jones just got to every like once a year, just once a year, just try and go viral for some sort of tweet, just stay relevant. Got to remember that Cardell Jones was indeed a thing. I, I speaking of him, I, I still can't believe that we didn't get another Urban versus Saban matchup, yeah. and that these teams haven't played since that 2014 game. I say this all the time. Like I took this job after that national championship that season, assuming that we were about to get yearly Bama-Ohio State type of matchups. And instead, that's what Clemson-Bama became. But now I kind of wonder, could this be a yearly occurrence? Obviously, Ohio State has to do it without a Justin Fields moving forward. But you just kind of wonder with what Ryan Day has done these this first, the you know, these first two years. Yeah, I mean, they're they're going to continue to crank out offenses. And it's not like, you know, he was the offensive coordinator for that incredible Dwayne Haskins season, which at the time was the best season we had ever seen from a Big Ten quarterback. So I, I just kind of wonder, now, is now maybe the launching point for these teams? And will we get some sort of thrilling 2015 Bama-Clemson-like game that makes you think, oh, this this could actually be a yearly thing now moving forward? Yeah, when, when Urban Meyer was hired at Ohio State, I, I, I said – I don't remember what year it was, but I thought it was the absolute most perfect fit for a, a head coach at any university because they they didn't have the same kind of 
um, parity in, in that conference. They didn't have the same kind of competition as he, as he even had to face in the SEC. It's, and especially from a recruiting standpoint, with like being a national brand with national ties everywhere, like going, going, you know, being able to go down to Texas and dip into that state and, and everywhere else. And Ohio is a really good, like really good state for, for high school football talent. And also having the ties to Florida. Um, I thought they would be competing or playing for a national championship every other year. Like that, that I remember like boldly saying that as soon as he was hired. So hats off to Ryan day for, for actually being able to like kind of, you know, like achieve that or follow through on that because they've been really good. And I, I don't see it stopping anytime soon. Also, I'm just going to say this. We should have brought this up beforehand. I feel like we should go to our interviews first and then come back and give, do do that? And give our, our picks at the end. Okay. So it kind of like, you know, because listen, Barrett's Lee, we did two minute drill. You're going to be really disappointed in his bucket list concert. And I don't want that to be what, what you end the podcast on. Okay, that's fine. Let's let's do that right now. Let's first go to our interview with Barrett Salee, and then let's go to uh, our interview with Ryan O'Gara. Uh, we have a very special guest now. He's a big, big motocross and Braves <laughs> enthusiast. Uh, and sometimes in his downtime, he likes to cover a little college football. Barrett Salee, our guest today. Barrett, uh, I appreciate you taking time away from running like 10 miles a day on your Peloton treadmill to be with us. <laughs> Well, uh, my pleasure. And a public service announcement. The 2021 Supercross Series does start the Saturday after the national championship game, or at least when it's supposed to be played, the national championship game. So if you are not a Supercross fan, you need to tune in next Saturday and get on board. Did I, did I say it wrong? Well, Supercross and Motocross. Motocross okay. is outdoors and the, the sport in general. Supercross is the, the stadium stuff. I, I will honestly, I'll never forget when I first started this job full time, like two or three years ago. And it was like the week after the national title. And I think it was, it might've even been when Bama lost to Clemson or might've been the year before against Georgia. But I was just like in this, like, you know, dark, just abyss of sadness because football season was over. And I just remember getting on Twitter and seeing you just like live tweeting super cross stuff. And I was like, I've never <laughs> seen someone just transition so easily out of it. It was, I was, I was envious. <laughs> well, I, you know, I used to race, so. Uh, oh, nice. That's my jam. Yeah, that's uh, honestly, like, legitimately, that's my favorite sport. Like, what? I'll, I'll, more than football and baseball is my favorite sport. No joke. Well, good deal, man. Good deal. Well, um, all right, we'll get into it. And we'll talk uh, non-Supercross stuff because uh, that's usually not our, our niche here with our, uh, our audience. But um, I will say real quick, one of my favorite things that you do in general, especially on social media, is you kind of call yourself out for your own bad takes. And it's obviously good to be able to laugh at yourself with how much crazy stuff's going on in the world. Um, I know I once said that Nelly uh, and Tim McGraw, that song over and over again was the greatest song ever. Um, that's my worst take. Ooh. What is your worst take of all time? That is a terrible, terrible take. Awful. Not going to lie. That's uh, that's embarrassing. Uh, mine from a sports perspective, I said Notre Dame was going to go 12 and 0 and make the playoff in 2016. And they went four and eight. <laughs> so that, that, <laughs> that did not go well uh non-sports well my most controversial take non-sports wise is that star wars sucks yeah duh. i i well are you on that are you on board with this too i've never i've never seen a full one i i, I like i've just never really gotten into because i've never been into that kind of stuff yeah i haven't either um now i really wasn't into superhero stuff at all but then during quarantine my my nine-year-old made me watch every marvel movie and now i'm hooked to that uh <laughs> but i i'm a firm believer that the most important contribution that star wars ever made to our society 
is giving Mel Brooks a reason to make Spaceballs. Yes, 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 Barrett. God, off to a good start. Off to a good start. It's, and, like, honestly, I don't know how that's debatable because Spaceballs is, I think, one of the best movies, if not the best movie of, of all time. I mean, that's a little bit of a stretch, Barrett, I'll be honest with you. But, I mean, it's still a good movie. I'll say what I hate about Star Wars, too, is that, like, you you have, like, if you ever ask somebody – that's a huge Star Wars fan. It's like, hey, where should I start? I'm going to make the effort to watch this stupid series. And like, well, you have to start at the beginning. But then also there's like the next trilogy is also a prequel. And then there's like a, a sequel. Like, what the hell is happening right now? So I, I did not. There, no one told me. No one told me there would be math involved in watching. Star Wars. Right. No, I totally. <laughs> exactly. And like the Mandalorian's out right now. And they're like, well, it ties into this, that and the other. And then outside of the trilogy, there's these other ones involved. I'm like, OK, like, why couldn't y'all just go in normal person order? Like yeah, one, right. two, three, four, five. Like this is this really not does not have to be this complicated. Completely agree. Completely agree. Um, okay, so moving on to uh God, we've covered so much supercross and Star Wars stuff, like pretty much all of our content for those two subjects on the year. Um, a lot of stuff going on around the SEC. Before we talk about the actual national championship game, real quick, thoughts on the uh, Auburn coordinator hires and also on JT Daniels' announcement of returning and the impact it'll have on Georgia next year. He's awesome. You know, I, obviously there were some extenuating circumstances that couldn't get him, you know, on the field for the first two thirds of the season or whatever. But we saw what that offense did. Everybody seems to be coming back or most people anyway, not taking, uh, not jumping to the NFL and taking advantage, um, you know, of, of, of what they can do next year, aside from the guys who opted out of the bowl game. I, it makes them, his return makes them the team to beat in the East. And I, honestly, I don't even think it's close. I mean, right. that Florida is going to take a pretty significant step back. Um, with, with Auburn, uh, Derek Mason's great. Like that, yeah. 100%. I understand why there's some skepticism of Mike Bobo because run the dang ball, Bobo, and Georgia fans hated him, even though he was a really good coordinator for them and all that other stuff. But look at, let's look at what Auburn's issues are. Offensive line play, which Harson can take care of, and quarterback development. And Mike Bobo developed the winningest quarterback of all time in David Green, at least for the time being, until Colt McCoy beat him. Right. Uh, a first-round pick in Matt Stafford, a really good player in DJ Shockley, the player with the most passing yards in SEC history at the time in Aaron Murray. I don't see Auburn doing anything like that. So – I know he's got his detractors and all that other stuff, but I, look, as long as Mike Bobo can develop quarterbacks, Auburn can get the athletes to be at least competitive. Right. Yeah. I think it's, it's somebody, it's a, a fellow uh, either ATLian or just somebody from Georgia. You totally get the whole God dang it, Bobo. Cause I've heard that for like just most of the decade after, uh, after 2000. So, um, all right, good stuff. Moving on to the national title game. Uh, I'm almost a little bit worried to, to get into this just because I'm in a glass case of emotion, um, you know, for my fandom. Uh, it's a big game. So I've, I've been adamantly opposed to Ohio State being in this game in general. They're clearly one of the, the four best teams in the country. No one's arguing that. But what are your thoughts on the validity and or fairness of the decisions made by the, the Big Ten and, and College Football Playoff Committee to get them here? I'm OK with the Big Ten doing this just because. It's a COVID year and like we're all making up rules as we go along. And they, it was the first confident thing that Kevin Warren did during his time as commissioner because it actually helps his conference and not hurts it. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it. Honestly, they deserve to be in. I don't think the question of of how good they are was never part of that discussion. Um, Letting uh, the, the committee voting them in, 
I just don't know how you can punish Ohio State for something that they had nothing to do with. And in fact, worked pretty hard to make sure did not happen. I just I can't I can't wrap my arms around how they could punish punish them for that. Um, And I mean, honestly, like I get it that A&M played more games and and, you know, by virtue of that, put themselves at risk to lose more games. They also lost to a team they play every year. You know, right. I, so I just I can't if it was to somebody that got added to the schedule from the East. OK, maybe. But you still lost a game that you, you were going to play regardless. You knew it was going to happen and you got smoked. Yeah, and I think that's totally fair. I mean, honestly, and I've, I've been just, you know, borderline obnoxious about it on social media, because I think for me at this point, it's not even just about like they're they're a great and a fantastic world team and can absolutely win the national championship on Monday. Um, but when you look at that, you know, the schedule and body of work and and how they had going into the Clemson game, they'd only played two games since November 21st and only one back-to-back Saturday. There's just no way around saying that like, they're a little bit more like, you know, they're fresher. So it is, it's, it's weird. Like it's, it's a quite like a conundrum because you don't, you shouldn't punish them. Like the team has done everything they can to, to get here. But at the same time, it's like, man, they, they have been able to really benefit from things that other teams haven't. So um, that's good. I, I like that response. I, I'm going to give you a storyline you tell me which one is actually worth discussing out of these two, Justin Fields ribs or Jalen Waddle returning. Uh, oh man. Of which one is more, see, I don't think either one are that big a deal because I, I still right. think that fields is fine. And I think that Waddle's a smoke screen. So I guess we'll yeah. start. Yeah. I guess we'll go there. I guess we'll say it's more, I think fields is fine. I think because he came back and threw five touchdowns after that. I mean, come on, right. four touchdowns, whatever it was. Um, you know, so I, I think Waddle's return is is a little bit more interesting because I think there's a legit chance it's a smokescreen, and there's a, you know he obviously is healthier and healthy enough to practice, but uh, to me it, it still feels like a smokescreen. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree with that. Um, I mean, just looking at this game, there's just so much talent on the field, and and both teams are obviously just very very efficient. Uh, at, at what they do and and elite at what they do, what matchup is the biggest key to victory for for each team on Monday? The biggest by far to me is is Alabama's offensive line versus yeah. uh, Ohio State's defensive line. Uh, that that defensive front for Ohio State, including the linebackers, the front seven was awesome. Like they were awesome against Clemson. Now, I know Alabama is a little bit more of a challenge, but think about how good Ohio State was, especially in the middle with guys right. that they rotated 300 pounders in and out. Landon Dickerson's absence is going to be a problem this week. Uh, if it wasn't last week, it's going to be, it, it can be a problem this week. That's the one spot where you're like, okay, I know Alabama won the Joe Moore award, but this is not the best matchup in the world um, for, for, you know, where Ohio State's strengths are. And then on the other side, I mean, again, not to stay in the trenches, but, uh, Alabama's or Ohio State's defense or offensive line looked awesome against Clemson, and I, I believe this. And this is going to probably make you mad. If Ohio <laughs> State, if Ohio State plays ten or eleven games this year, does Alabama win the Joe Moore Award? See, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know the answer to that because I mean Ohio State's given up twenty sacks in, in seven games. It's I think they're like the hundred and first like sacks per games allowed, but they looked fantastic, like you said, against Clemson. Uh, and, and, also, they, and, and finding your identity is a big deal. If right. you want to play six games, you got to find – like how many times do we see teams just kind of putz around for a few games before like early in the season and they catch fire? I mean, yeah. legitimately that could be what Ohio State's doing right now. 
And especially with the continuity on the offensive line, I, I completely agree with that. I completely agree. And, and the defensive line thing, let's go back to that for a second because that is that is a hundred percent the biggest concern I think going into this game for Alabama is is being able to effectively run the ball and also pass protect because they were in the backfield all day against uh, against Clemson with Trevor Lawrence. How much of I remember going to that 2018 national championship. I, I said Clemson was going to win because of that defensive line. I don't think it's that much of a mismatch, but how close to that kind of, uh, I guess, performance could we see from this Ohio State team? I don't think it could be like that. That Clemson team was on a mission. like that, that, Especially when all those guys came back. I mean, that was – that was the. Uh, it wasn't a. That wasn't a culmination. That was a coronation. They they, they had no doubt that they were going to run the table and win the national championship. Or not run the table, but win the national championship that year. Um, it, oh, oh, Ohio State can't replicate that, but because honestly, like that is you're asking an awful lot. But if you get creative, especially inside, you know, Mac Jones getting pressure up the middle is not a good thing. It's it's nope. one thing if. If like, you know, you're mobile back there, Mac is not mobile. And so just getting away from pressure up the middle is going to be a big, big, big problem if that's what happens. So I don't think they can match what Clemson did, but I think that it's clearly going to be Alabama's toughest test. Um, and, and I think they do have the potential because like we said, like, they're only in game eight. Like they are right. still figuring out their identity and their offense and their defensive uh, front looked awesome against Clemson and it looked awesome against, uh, against Northwestern. So, yeah. you know, if it's, if that's the case, then I think it's only fair to say, okay, well, maybe the short season really limited what they could do from a development and identity standpoint. Yeah, and the continuity in the offensive line as well. It's, it's a really good point. Um, okay, so a couple more questions here. Uh, last one before the prediction, then we'll get you out of here on two-minute drill. We, we haven't really seen anyone, I feel like, outside of the big three for Bama step up and, and take over a game since maybe John Mechie versus A&M. Um, yeah. You know, it, it always seems like games like this, uh, there's there's a hero that's it's someone that's way off the radar before the game, uh, kind of like O.J. Howard in 2015. Outside of Mac, Najee, and Devontae, which Bama player plays the biggest role in getting a win on Monday? Oh, outside of those guys, uh, how about Jaleel Billingsley? Right. It, it seems like they've gone to him uh, in key spots, uh, you know, and, and I think it – I know Sean Wade's been getting torched but he's still really talented. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not going to be able to cover Devontae, but he's going to be able to make Mac Jones think twice about going to Devontae, maybe, perhaps, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> I, if that's the case, I mean, uh, Jaleel Billingsley just feels like maybe this could be one of those games. Like you mentioned, O.J. Howard, where he went nuts, where, you know, maybe he doesn't have 100 yards receiving, but maybe he's got three catches for 55 yards and a touchdown and, and all three are really important catches right. to, to move the sticks or something like that. You know, I think, I think he could play that role. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I, these are all the answers I already wrote down for the actual podcast we're recording later. So thanks a lot for that Barrett. Uh, Just, hey, you know what? I, 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 bright minds think alike, which means that neither one of those bright minds are us. That's very true. Very good. I, mean, I tell you what, one bright mind out of out of the two of us is, is yours, especially when it comes to gambling. Um, you are you've been lights out the past two years, way better than I have. Um, give me your best bet for the game, and give me your uh, your score prediction for the game as well. Best bet is under, mm-hmm. and I don't know what the first half line is, but I would even say under the first half, even more, thirty-seven more and a half. Is it thirty-seven and a half? Yeah, that's that's fine. 
I'm fine with that. I'd go under two. I, the defenses are better than than people realize. And look, it's still going to be a high scoring game. But uh, but yeah, I think it's my best bet is the under. Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm taking Ohio State to win. I, I dude, I I'm not far from it, man. I, I completely understand. So I, I appreciate the honesty. So um, I'm glad you said that now because we're going to get you into a two minute drill here, which is a a, a points based game. And you would have had a lot of points docked for that answer. Um, so just. <laughs> Just rapid fire questions. The first thing that comes to your mind, uh, we got we got two minutes on the clock. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. All right, go to order at Chick Fil A. Uh, Twelve count nuggets grilled with buffalo sauce and ranch. You put them in the little tub with a little circle. Guy, you sound like you were just born for that question. That was fantastic. Um, bucket list concert. I've practiced. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Bucket list. <laughs> Uh, bucket list concert. Uh, I would say Poison, Bon Jovi, and uh, Def Leppard together because that actually happened one time. Jesus Christ, Barrett. Okay, no comment on that. We'll give you some points. <laughs> um, worst follow on Twitter, Dan Wilkin. There it is. Love it. That's that's <laughs> bonus points. Uh, four number four. First thing you're doing to relax after the season? Uh, going to Disney World with the family. Okay. That doesn't sound relaxing at all. I'll be honest. It does not yeah, sound relaxing, but it is the first thing I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Thoughts and prayers, man. Um, yeah. All right. What happens first? A UGA Natty or a Braves World Series? Braves World Series 2021. It's going to happen. Love it. You were, you were that happen. far off. You've been banging this drum for two years and, and like, dude, they're good like for anyone. They're good. Like they've progressively been getting better and like, they're good, like legitimately good. And well, Georgia might be good next year. Not going to lie, but Braves That's 2021. Right. Love it. Love it. Uh, first assistant to beat Saban. Kirby Smart. That's fair. Um, this is a, uh, a an audience submission here from my fiance. Thoughts on croutons? I don't, I can't, I don't know what she did here. I like croutons, especially if they're like Parmesan crusted. Ooh, that's fancy. Like, you know, like the good Caesar salads, like the fancy Caesar salads, you get some like <laughs> spice on there. The way you said the good Caesar salad just reminds me of like, like someone saying like the good chair, like at your grandpa's yeah. house. I, I <laughs> yes. like that. Um, the, which is Algonquin for the good lands. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay. This fits right in line with what you're doing after the season. Favorite Disney princess. Elsa, because I have seen her a thousand times every week. Cause I, the amount of Elsa dolls that are in my house, uh, they're, they're in every room, at least two of them in every room. Yeah, I mean, you, you don't have to get prepared if you just stay prepared. So I, I love that. I love that. Um, I, I think I actually know the answer to this one. Go to karaoke song. Uh, it's Bubba Sparks, uh, Miss New Booty, or uh, <laughs> or Bombs Over Baghdad by by uh, by Outcast. One of those two. Uh, Incidentally, I meant to say, let's go back to the the princess. Moana's a badass. Moana like, is, and that's a good soundtrack too. Yes. Oh yeah, it is. No, but Miss New Booty by Bubba Sparks and Bombs Over Baghdad by Outcast. I, I I will say, you know, in even just covering actual athletes that we we both had to do for for several years now, one of the most physically impressive things I've I've ever seen is you rap Bombs <laughs> Over Baghdad, and like and like not miss a line and then not not be out of breath either. Like I, it just it was mind blowing. I, I was out of it, breath watching it. That song is so hard. Like it is the beginning's is, easy. Yeah, and then you're like. <laughs> holy crap like you know how like the karaoke line like highlights it just yeah. doesn't stop it's like a, i'm like dude slow down and right. I, <laughs> I i thought i knew the words to that song 
but apparently I only knew sounds like what the words sound like because the actual lyrics when I'm singing them on when we're singing them at media days at, at Gabriel's I'm like huh those aren't <laughs> the words that I've been singing my entire life <laughs> that's good though you know you live and you learn um okay I, I, this probably plays into all that confidence that went on that karaoke stage go to tailgate drink jack and coke okay um i just yeah, love how matter of fact you are with these uh i got two more and I, i'll be honest i wish i did not put them at the end uh most quotable movie oh dumb and dumber oh okay oh god like i think wedding crashes are like old school yeah, dumb, dumb and dumber's and up there got, too dumber's got a, you know what christmas vacation might be up there too yeah i feel like it's like some I, you know what? Advice, I but i like answer. it i changed my answer christmas vacation Okay. Well, listen, we're going to get you out of here because the shitter's full anyway. Um, but <laughs> last question. Um, I cannot believe I put this last on here and I don't even know why I added it, but if you could be any of the Baldwin brothers, who would you be? Oh, I'd be Adam Baldwin because he, this is, this is a, this is a story quickly. I know it's two minutes old. Adam Baldwin is the one that nobody knows about, but he was in the movie fled, which if you pause it at the right time, you can see me in the movie fled also. An unbelievably solid and prepared answer. And, you, and, Let me... and you know why? You know why? Getting back to how we started the podcast? Because it was shot at the 1996 Atlanta Supercross, which I raced in. Just You know what? That That's just a, a book ending that we needed. Just a, a callback. <laughs> I, I, I have respected. I'm adding these up right now. That's a new high score, bro. That's 69 points. Yes. That's a damn good score. Nice. Nice. We, uh, we appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, I hope you have a fantastic uh, weekend and, and trip to Disney World. And y'all have a, a, a safe trip. And I just hope you don't lose your sanity, man. I will try not to lose my sanity. Hopefully dry January is only a fad because I will probably <laughs> need some grown-up drinks at, uh, at Epcot and, uh, and the other places. Heard that, man. We'll, we'll have to get you back on soon and, uh, and we'll talk to you then. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, man. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It's someone I know pretty well, I think I can say. It's it's my brother, Ryan O'Gara. For those who don't know, Ryan is our, our lead columnist on our Big Ten site, Saturday Tradition. He's been doing that for the last couple of years, and he increased his role even more the last year. But fear not, SEC fans. He lives in Lexington, so he gets a full dose of the SEC as well. Uh, Ryan, who would have thought when we were working on the student newspaper together in high school that the first time we'd ever interview one another would be before the national championship when we're in our thirties. And it, it's been uh, it's been a ride for sure. That, that is that is really strange when you think about it like that. Um, but as you said, you know, I'm if you're not SEC fans, I do live in SEC country um, and go to SEC football games and basketball games. Um, I am a friend, even though I do write for the Big Ten football <laughs> site and grew up in Big Ten country. I am I am a friend. I come. Uh, so, you know, it, it's cool to, to be in this spot. You know, I love that we have a big 10 SEC championship. Um, you know, as you kind of told me before, it's, it's fun to finally have this, you know, we haven't seen these conferences match up in the playoff, I believe since 2016. So it, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. It's been, it's been a hot minute since we've had any sort of big 10 SEC, um, interest, which is what we've been wanting for like for as, as a company obviously to be able to have that stage in the playoff little little peel behind the onion here um we do a yearly bowl mania pool with some family and, cl and close friends we've been doing this for like i don't know like 10 years or something like that probably since like since definitely way before either of us started doing this for 
for a living. And, and Ryan was was one of, I think, two people in our pool to pick Ohio State to beat Clemson. You might have picked them to win, but the upside that Ohio State showed in that game, did that catch you by surprise, knowing how herky-jerky their season's been? It absolutely caught me by surprise. Um, I did not expect to see Ohio State be as dominant as it was. Um, I think I predicted 37-34. I thought it would be a very close game. Um, I I just didn't, you know, I I certainly respect Clemson, and they're a tremendous program, obviously. But I I just didn't get all the, the people who, who didn't think Justin Fields, after everything he's been through, after everything Ohio State's been through, was they were just going to come in and lay down against the team that ended their season last year in dramatic fashion. Like I just didn't think, for whatever shortcomings Ohio State has shown this year, and there's certainly been some, and I'm sure we'll we'll get into some of those shortcomings. Um, for them to come out and lay an egg in the biggest game of any of their careers, it, it just didn't make sense. So I knew it would be a close game. Um, but I guess I was wrong because it wasn't close. You know, Ohio State was up 28 in the fourth quarter and, and really played really well, obviously. But uh, definitely far beyond what I think anyone reasonably could have expected. You, you watched every minute Ohio State played this year. I mean, and the, the setup. This is an underrated thing that you do, the being able to – to record every single game and then you can rewatch, you know, at your earliest convenience, whether that's Sunday morning, whether you're doing some stuff for your, your big Monday column that comes out that everybody should totally read, whether you have any sort of interest in the Big Ten or not, just because it's good writing and it's good informative stuff about college football. And, you know, for those who are looking to, to, to learn a little bit more about the sport, I, I think it's, it's such a great regular staple that we have. But, you know, you've been able to watch this team all year. What's the word that you would use to describe Ohio State's pass defense? Leaky. Um, it, yeah, it, I, man, I wrote a, a story about Sean Wade earlier this week, and you know Ohio State has this great tradition of producing, you know, elite defensive backs. You know, they've had I think six corners go in the first round in the last five years. Yeah. And Sean Wade is the next in line for that. And, you know, even though Ohio State lost, you know, some, I think they had three defensive backs drafted this past year, two in the first round, Damon Arnett and, and Jeff Okuda, you know, the expectation was that they would be able to pick right, pick up where they left off because they, they do it pretty much every year. You know, you go out and down the line, Denzel Ward, Marshawn Lattimore. I mean, there's just so, so many examples of Ohio State producing top level defensive backs and, it's been it's been a struggle this year, and and some of it I think is is probably, you know, no spring practice, limited summer workouts, you know, the on again, off again, Big Ten schedule schedule from this year, you know, the COVID issues, you know, only playing six regular season games or five regular season games before the Big Ten championship, they just haven't had a ton of time to gel, so I think that's part of it. Um, so. I give them a little bit of a pass, but, you know, it doesn't matter right now. You know, at this point, you are who you are, and they, they played a little bit better against Clemson. But, I mean, it was it was still – there were certain points where Sean Wade had a really tough time against receivers that are not as good as what he's going to see against Alabama. So it's really concerning um, if you're an Ohio State fan as to what, uh, you know, this Alabama passing attack that's just been pretty much flawless this entire year, what, what they're going to do. 
weird to listen to the broadcast too in the part where like they said Clemson's going to come out and attack Sean Wade because he plays with such a cushion and you're like wait a minute that's supposed to be Ohio State's best defensive back the guy that was a preseason All-American future first round pick all these things like yeah Sean Wade plays with such a cushion that we feel like we could do whatever we want and Clemson actually had a lot of success doing that but at the same time when you have Justin Fields doing what he's doing on offense it kind of makes that point a little bit you know, not necessarily as significant as it could have been in a back-and-forth type of game. I know that all the focus has been on Trey Sermon and Justin Fields, and understandably so. But I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. Chris Olave is actually the most important player for Ohio State against Alabama. True or false? It's true. Yeah, it's true. Um, and it, there's a, there's definitely a worthy debate if, you know, if Justin Fields isn't able to, you know, be himself – you know, because of these, this rib injury, because of his wrist injury or his finger injury, um, you know, that's that's obviously a huge development if he's not the Justin Fields that we saw against Clemson. Um, because there's a, there's a significant drop-off in experience and, and whatnot after Justin Fields. And Trey Sherman's been incredible. So there's definitely a debate there. But you saw what Ohio State looked like in the Big Ten Championship without Chris Olave. And he, he's just a guy that – yeah – and, and the tough part is when the offense is funneled, at least the passing offense is funneled through Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, when one of them isn't out there, you know, that obviously makes it a lot easier for a defense to, to key in on one guy. So to have both of them out there is crucial. But Chris Olave and Justin Fields have such strong chemistry, you know, and they really have, you know, shown that after the way last season ended with, with Olave breaking off his route against Clemson, and everybody knows that by now, but when Chris Olave is in the lineup, Ohio State is a different offense. And, you know, I was just doing a little research for a story that will run Sunday, but you know, Chris Olave is, is going to be one of, if not the only, non-four-star or five-star prospect out there uh, on Gosh. on Monday night. It is, and that's pretty incredible. I mean, you look at just like his, his offers out of, out of college or out of high school, uh, sorry, where he wasn't offered by all the traditional powers like – Bam, LSU, Clemson, Florida, Florida State, et cetera. You know, he had offers from from places like UCLA, Utah, Colorado State, Hawaii. Uh, Michigan did offer him, um, and that was probably his biggest non-Ohio State offer, but San Jose State, San Diego State, Oregon State. I mean, this was not a blue-chip type of prospect, and obviously he's he's developed into potentially a first-round NFL draft pick. I mean, he's, he's an outstanding receiver, and he's – He's definitely some someone to watch, and, and I'm not sure what Alabama will do with with Patrick Sertan and and where they'll go if if he'll be shadowing Olave, if he'll cover Olave and Garrett Wilson. Um, but that that's going to be fascinating to see if 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 Olave can perform against you know arguably the be- the best corner in the country. What's the Ohio State storyline that people aren't talking about enough? People aren't talking about enough. That's a good question um, because with Ohio State, I think everything gets dissected a lot over and over. Um, but you know, one thing that's that's maybe gone a little bit underrated is you know the defensive line is outstanding. It, it really yeah. is. It, it's a it, it's really good, and it doesn't have the sack numbers that it had last year because Chase Young, you know, was such a game changer last year and a Heisman candidate and, you know, the number two overall pick and et cetera, et cetera. This Ohio State defense does not have a guy like that, obviously. They don't have a Bosa brother anymore. You know, they 
but it's still a really good unit, especially against the run. Um, Haskell Garrett is, is one of the best stories in college football. You know, they didn't even yeah. know he was going to be able to play this year. You know, he got, he broke up a fight randomly in the off season and, and ended up getting shot in the face. And they, and three months later, he's out there making plays. And now he's PFF, Pro Football Focus's number one graded interior lineman. And you know, he passes the eye test, too. He's made some great plays all year. Tommy Togiai, outstanding. Um, they held Travis Etienne, uh, I think, to 32 yards on 10 carries. Clemson only had 44 rushing yards after you know Trevor Lawrence just burned them last year in the playoff. Um, you know they, They've really shut down every – running game outside of Adrian Martinez and Luke McCaffrey. Those are the two highest rushers against Ohio state this season. And that was the first game of the year. And mm-hmm. with all due respect to Mac Jones, he's not, he's not going to be making, you know, plays with his legs like Adrian Martinez and Luke McCaffrey. So uh, I don't think Ohio state's going to have to worry about that. Um, you know, they've really shut down opposing running games and I'm, I'm not sure if, you know, what Najee Harris will be able to do, you know, they may, they're certainly going to get him involved in the pass game because he's just, an unbelievable all-around player. Um, but as far as running the ball, you know, Ohio State's been really, really tough in that area. And, you know, just because you don't have the sack numbers and whatnot, um, guys like Jonathan Cooper um, have really stepped up. So I, I think that's a storyline that maybe gets a little overlooked. Yeah, no uh, no Landon Dickerson to be able to defend Haskell Garrett as well on the interior, something that, you know, could be could be significant for Alabama trying to establish that that run in between the tackles for sure. Let, let's help out some gambling friends here. The over under for this game is something I think it's like seventy four and a half in the spread as of oh, we're recording this on when we're recording this on Thursday morning. Spread is Alabama seven and a half. Which one of those two things would you want to be most interested in if you were putting some money down? Hmm. Well, you know, I, I really think Ohio State's going to cover. Um, I I think they have the offense to keep up. I, I'm not saying that they're going to win, but I, I really think Ohio State can cover. As far as the over-under, it, it's just so tough because that's a lot of points. I mean, that's yep. basically saying, you know, it's going to be Alabama's going to win 42 to 38 or something like that. And, you know, if, if just one team – decides, hey, we're going to slow it down, switch it up, try to grind out a drive, and, you know, does something like Notre Dame did as an eight-minute drive, which Ohio State could just decide, okay, we're just going to feed Trey Sermon over and over, and he's going to get six and seven yards and take us down the field. You know, if something like that happens, you know, and you kind of sit on the ball like Notre Dame did, and I'm not saying Ohio State will do that, but but all it takes is one time for that to happen and really to throw off um, kind of the momentum of the game. So I would feel much better going with the, taking the points for Ohio State than betting the over-under. I think it was the highest over-under they've ever had in a title game and with good reason because Ohio State's yeah. secondary has is, is really struggled. But, um, yeah, I, I think I'd go with Ohio State at the points. Last question. Probably the most important question I've ever asked you. Um, what's the one sport I can beat you in? Tennis. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. There is no doubt in my mind. No doubt in my mind whatsoever. Am I right? Um, yeah, you're right. You're right. I was hoping you weren't going to say bowling because I was going to say, well, bowling's not a sport. Bowling's a game. That doesn't really count. That's... <laughs> <laughs> 
It's not a fair thing to get into. I don't want to. That, well, if you, I say bowling, I sound like a loser. I mean, I don't sound much better to say tennis, but at least I actually have to like move laterally in that. Well, okay. So the the complex that I live in in Lexington, Kentucky, is called the Racket Club, and we have tennis courts here. And during COVID, you know, during summer, I played a lot of tennis. So I am interested. Uh, my fiance Audrey as well was a high school tennis player is very into it. I played a lot of tennis with her during COVID. So I am interested in potentially getting a chance to avenge myself uh, in that and in ping pong. You know, the last time we played oh, ping good pong, point. you beat me. So I don't know if we're calling that a sport either. You would definitely beat me in bowling. I'm not even going to try. But, yeah, tennis and ping pong, I'd be interested to get another shot. All right. Well, we'll have, to set, we'll have to set that up once everything everything settles down. But um, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you answered that honestly and didn't you know take the default crappy answer of, of bowling. So so thank you for that, right? Appreciate it. Um, <laughs> this this has been fun though. Uh, glad we got to finally do this. Long overdue. Ryan does such great work on our Big Ten sites. If if you're interested at all, anything Big Ten football related, or you just want another place to be able to read more about college football, tons of great storylines. In the Big Ten right now, that'll be prevalent even after the national championship. So, Ryan, thanks for coming on, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk soon because we're related and we do that. Thanks for having me, uh, long time listener, first time caller. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Really appreciate both of those guys for hopping on um, for. Uh, and also thank you to my brother for actually saying that I can beat him in a sport, which, you know, like I'm a younger brother. All right. It probably came out there, whatever. It's my brother was a first team all state baseball player and uh, played college baseball and like was really good at everything. So, you know, a little validation when I'm 30 years old. Yeah, whatever. I got it. No big deal. Um, hopefully everybody enjoyed that more breakdown from this national championship. We have all of our own opinions because Marla, I know you well. And I know that you've been doing a deep dive on this game basically, I don't know, since like Sunday morning. No, just just started yesterday. I just I've been Ooh. wanting to I've been dreading like having to like break down this game anyway, because I think I know how it's gonna go. Okay, well let's save that for the end. Let's save let's save that part for the end. Because I, I don't want to get all of Uncle Chris's gambling tips away immediately <laughs> from the jump. And I know that you have thought about this a lot in depth. Um I think the counterpart battles for this yeah. game are really interesting. Like Mac Jones, Justin Fields, Trey Sermon, Najee Harris. Those are the two that I, I, I went back and forth on. I did, um, shameless plug, did pieces on on both of these, these interesting kind of comps um, during the week and went in depth with a variety of categories of trying to think to myself, who would I rather have on Monday night? Who would I rather have on my sideline? Mac Jones versus Justin Fields? Would I rather have Najee Harris or Trey Sermon? And it's, it's wild because I went through seven categories for Mac Jones, Justin Fields. More likely to make a mistake. More likely to make a play when things break down. More proven in 2020. More big stage experience. More favorable defensive matchup. More feared with the game on the line. I tell you that because I thought going into it, I would say Justin Fields is going to be who I'd pick. Mac Jones won those categories three to two to one for me. And I, I, I would give Mac Jones the That's slight teeny tiny. They said there were seven. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I did. So I did six categories, and it was Mac had three, Justin Fields had two, and then I gave a tie for the big stage experience because while Justin Fields 
has four games on what I would call the big stage, which is either a conference championship or a playoff game. I gave, or a New Year's Six Bowl, but neither of them have played in a non-playoff New Year's Six Bowl. But um, Mac Jones, is, his sample size is much better in those two specific games that he has played in um, than Justin Fields, who obviously had the struggles in the, the first half against Wisconsin last year and then struggled throughout the Big Ten Championship this year. But then he has what he did against Clemson. And I think a lot of people would look at what Justin Fields did against Clemson and say, if that's the dude who shows up on Monday night, look out. Because that was a different level that Mac Jones can't get to. But I don't know that you can necessarily assume that Justin Fields will automatically get to that place. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting game to break down because it's like, Bama's just been consistent the, the whole year, right? Like they've, they've done what they've done and, and like it hasn't, there's like not really any surprises, right? But Ohio State, we've seen this team play competition for most of the year and, and get through the regular season with, uh, you know, a five-game schedule where four of those teams were, were two-win teams. And then they get propped up and put into the Big Ten Championship with all the stuff that went on with that, and they play a Northwestern team. Were they ranked? Northwestern was number 14, I believe, okay. at the time. So they struggle with the Northwestern team. I think the final score was like, what, like 22 to 10? 10, 10 or something, yeah. Um, Justin Fields looked awful uh, throughout that game. And it wasn't the first time he'd looked bad in a game. But I, th- I think it was, was it Penn State? or No, Penn State, he was still pretty good. Um, there was Indiana was worse. Indiana okay. was worried through the three picks. Right, okay. So, so you know, we had seen now in a very small sample size, but an overwhelmingly large fraction of that sample size, where he had looked pretty human and and not not like you know um anywhere close to what he looked like at clemson then you come into this clemson game and you saw what they did and, and it wasn't just him and you talk about like the um what do you call it like the counterpart matchup i think the most important counterpart battle is is both teams defensive lines and really both teams offensive lines as well but both teams defensive lines because you saw what ohio state was able to do to clemson well, i've never seen a clemson offensive line quarterback you know, whatever, get beat up like that and just harassed all night. Um, they only had two sacks, but they seemed like they were in the backfield on every single play. Yeah, I was and surprised looked, to see that. They looked incredible. You look at any of their, um, like, you know, their player ratings, like like Pro Football Focus, which, you know, you should really, really hinge all your uh, beliefs on how good players on that, like <laughs> I did. Um, but it's across the board, outside of maybe one or two spots in the offensive line, they they look superior to Bama, and and I I've been saying that they will give this offensive line a lot of problems, especially with Landon Dickerson out. But the other part of that is, like, so what have we seen from Ohio State? Like, are they going to be the team that they that beat Clemson? That they even said this was circled on their calendar for like a full year. Yes, this was mm-hmm. this was the motivation they saw every single day they woke up and and went into the weight room and and every single day that bit of revenge was was on their mind and and joel clatt like you guys think that i'm just being a homer or or just like complaining or whatever take it from joel clatt and and not me he even said this looked like they had been preparing for this game for months and when you have two games in in a full month span or i think it's like a like a 29 day span or might have been longer before this and it's northwestern and michigan state i can guarantee you they were preparing for this so was that like was that their Super Bowl? Yeah. In essence, I, I, and, and are they going to be able to re, like, reciprocate that? Or uh, what do you call it? Um, repeat that. Yeah, repeat that. Like, replicate that. Like, in this game against Bama? Yeah. I don't know. 
I agree with you. And I, I felt that in the third quarter of that game, I was asking that question wondering, this feels like everything they have. I mean, they brought out all the stops in that one. Everything that they were doing, especially with dominated. how they dominated at the line of scrimmage. That's the, the big thing that I keep coming back to. I don't know that we've ever seen a Clemson team, since Clemson has been Clemson, get dominated at the line of scrimmage like they did in that game. And I kind of wonder, a lot of people have made the comparison to 2014 and said, is this team just peaking at the perfect time? Is Trey Sermon going to follow this 2014 Ezekiel Elliott-like run en route to a national championship? There's one thing with Trey Sermon that I kind of wonder about, and it's this interesting, because 2014 Ezekiel Elliott, of course, went off uh, against Bama in the Sugar Bowl, right? I don't think Bama I has... that. Is that. If there was only like a gif or a, a saying that Ohio State <laughs> fans could remind me of once a week for the last six years. Yeah, Um that game, since then, Bama has played in 12 either conference championships or New Year's Six playoff bowls, playoff semifinal games, national championships, whatever. In those 12 games, not a single running back has hit 100 yards rushing. Kyler Murray hit 100 yards rushing in the 2018 Orange Bowl, but you were at that game. I mean, Kyler Murray was basically asked... Yeah, they're up 20 nothing. Kyler Murray's asked to do pretty much everything, and Kyler Murray's more than capable of doing that against pretty much anybody. But I wonder about that matchup. And yes, I understand Najee Harris going against what is the number two run defense in college football won't be easy. I think Najee Harris has more ways to get involved than Trey Sermon. I think that that benefits him slightly. And knowing what this game has meant to Najee, knowing that this is what he came back for, knowing what he said after his sophomore year when Josh Jacobs and Damian Harris were the guys who were getting the carries and he was frustrated that he wasn't used in that same way. I think we're about to see a different kind of Najee in this game. Now, the other key matchup that I, I love is such a great strength-on-strength matchup. And I know that this is going to be one of those things that Herbie breaks down a lot in the game. And you'll watch this, and you'll realize just how good both of these sides are at this. Patrick Sertan guarding the likes of Chris Olave and Garrett mm-hmm. Wilson, whoever he is matched up against. Because Patrick Sertan in the regular season allowed one catch of 25 yards in man coverage. I realize what happened in the SEC Championship, the play with Trayvon Grimes where he gets turned around. I said regular season. Um, Wilson has a catch of at least 20 yards in every single Ohio State game this year. This is the type of game that if Patrick Sertan goes out there and shuts down two really good receivers, as he said, finesse receivers. They're different than a C.D. Lamb who he got humiliated against a couple years ago in the Orange Bowl. Different types of receivers, and I think he's a different player now. This can make Patrick Sertan an Alabama legend. That's in the same exact conversation as a Minka Fitzpatrick and all the other guys who have, you know, there's, what, six defensive backs who have been first-round picks in the Saban era. I think this would put him in that conversation. But I cannot wait to see that battle play out because both of these sides in that are really, really good at what they do. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, I did do my deep dive last night. And, and there's – There we go. Real quick to talk about the, the run game, not taking anything away from Trey Sermon because he's been incredible, absolutely incredible. And, and that rush defense um, – and that defensive line is going to going to give Bama fits all night, like like fully aware and, and telling that like right now. Like when I watched that game last week, admittedly, admittedly, I was like, "This sucks. This is not good. This is the this is the worst possible like outcome." And, and not not just because it's Ohio State, it's because I have been the most vocal about how they should not be in the playoff, and I'll stand by it um, because they shouldn't. <laughs> they absolutely shouldn't. Um, and and I'll get to that later, but. 
Ohio State is one of the four best teams. They're one of the two best teams, obviously. They might be the best team in the country. Um, that rush defense, they actually, their opponents have thrown all over them. So their opponents, like percentage of run plays versus pass plays, is actually the the fewest in the country. So that kind of aids a little bit to, like, at least like the total numbers, like yards rushing. You heard what Najee said earlier this week, like, like the light when the lights come on and it's like best on best and somebody, you know, like people you're going to be playing like up against like in, like in the league, I think is that it, as how he put it. That's when he's at his best. That's when he's like most motivated. You look at the quarterback situation. Um, I think there's there's spots where Ohio State will be able to have an advantage over Bama for sure. Defensive line for one of them. You look on the other side of that and, and Bama getting pressure on Justin Fields. I really think that that is the key to the whole game. I, I really do because, yes, like if Mac Jones is under pressure, he is not a mobile quarterback, right? He, he is not a mobile quarterback. He's only been sacked eight times this year. It's the third fewest in the country. He's he's only been pressured on nineteen point three percent of his dropbacks. Also the third fewest in the country. His completion percentage under pressure is fifty eight point one. I think he adjusted like sixty, uh, sixty three. But that ranks number two in the country, and his passer rating leads the country under pressure, right? He's been fantastic. He has seven touchdowns and one interception when he's facing the blitz. You look on the other side of that, and Ohio State has given up 20 sacks in seven games, which doesn't sound like a lot, but sacks per game, that is that is 101st in the country, right? They looked really good last week, and you see it every year. Like it, Sometimes it takes a while for an offensive line to gel, and, and this team could just be hitting their stride, and they could finally be gelling as, as an offensive line unit. Um, I don't know, but I do know that Justin Fields has been fantastic, except for when he's under pressure. He's been sacked 20 times. Uh, his sack percentage is 28.6% of his dropbacks he's, have ended in a sack. That's the second most in FBS. Um, three touchdowns, four interceptions. His passer rating is 40.5, Connor. 40.5. That is the ninth lowest in FBS. His completion percentage is 37.8% when he's facing a blitz and under pressure. 37.8%. It's the eighth worst in the entire country. Bama's going to have to get in the backfield. Will Anderson, Christian Barmore, bring some you know some backers off the edge. I don't know if they'll do exotic blitzes or not. That is the key to the game, is Bama being able to pressure Justin Fields into m- making mistakes. It's weird because I think there are a lot of similarities between these two teams and what mm-hmm. they've become, at least, and the balance that Ohio State has with Fields now. And with the fields that we saw last week and with the Trey Sermon that we've seen for the last few games, Bama and Ohio State both have this ridiculous balance that when they're going like that, man, they are so, so tough to stop. And I wonder about those situations with fields, like the play that he got the the Skalski hit on where where he gets hurt and he hurts his ribs. Those moments where it's third and 11 and Justin Fields doesn't have anything. And Bambi Patrick Sertan is locked down coverage on Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson, whoever it is. Josh Job is also, you know, defensive backfield is doing its job. And everybody's downfield and, you know, it's Christian Barmore. I can see this play happening right now where Christian Barmore is rushing the passer and he gets in Fields' face. And then Justin Fields is a very Justin Fields thing. And he swerves out of it. He does that little back spin. And then he picks up 12 yards with his legs and he keeps the defense on the field. Those are the plays that Bama obviously has to avoid in this game if yeah. he wants to win. Because Justin Fields is so darn good at that. So, so good at that. And it's just demoralizing for defense. I agree. I think that, that pressure is so important. But he can make mistakes in those spots, too. 
Yeah, and and he has. I mean, th- he's only three touchdowns and four interceptions. And also, I absolutely read one of those stats wrong about the sack rate. He has not been sacked on 28% of his dropbacks. That would be probably a, a world record. That would um, like, 9.4% of his 113th in the country. But yeah, I, I think you're right. And I, I think the other part of that is, I've been saying it all year, if you could somehow bracket Devontae, and you can, mm-hmm. you can stop the run, which this team is built to do. Ohio State is built to do that. I think you can beat Bama. Like if you get Mac Jones uncomfortable, and and God forbid you get ahead of them because they have not had to play from behind except for one time this season, right? And they had Jalen Waddle when that happened. They were at home. Like that that would be the ultimate nightmare scenario. If if something happens like where where Ohio State does what they did to Clemson, or even the start where Clemson what Clemson did to Ohio State, I don't think Bama necessarily is able to come back from that because they haven't had to face that yet. That being said. Somebody outside of the big three is going to have to step up in this game and have a huge impact. And you talked about it before with like you know, the O.J. Howard thing a couple years ago. Uh, for as much flack as I give my dad uh, about everything, I never forget before that game talking to him and he said, I don't know why, I just feel like O.J. Howard's the key to the whole deal. I was like, what the hell are you talking about, old man? Um, and it was. I, I, think, I think Jaleel Billingsley or John Mechie is the key to this whole thing it, it, like for Bama. I think, I think somebody outside of... The big three is going to have to step up. Or somebody outside of the big three, a certain Jalen Waddle. Yup. You know, I'm a Cubs fan, so this is going to come off as a really biased take. But there are some 2016 Kyle Schwarber World Series type of vibes with this. Where Let me explain this here because this is going to sound ridiculous. But you thought there's no way he's, that that player is going to come back from that injury. Uh, Kyle Schwarber basically tore, tore like every ligament in his knee, and Jalen Waddle has a, a fractured ankle. And then all of a sudden, there's some of those late season whispers of, you know, this guy really wants to get back out there. You know, if they make the championship, you just never know if this if this guy could get back out there again. And then you hear, oh yeah, he's been on a tear, training and doing everything he possibly can to get out there. Jalen Waddle practice. He was cleared for practice this past week. You could tell Steve Sarkeesian really medically cleared. Medically cleared. You could tell Steve Sarkeesian did not want to really give much away when it came to that, and said you're going to have to talk to Saban as, as in terms of his playing time and all that stuff. And Saban's not going to release any of that. My question: Kyle Schwarber for that 2016 Cubs World Series team, he wasn't at full strength at all. Obviously, like he didn't have the same sort of power or anything like that. But even him at 75% provided such a lift for that team and such an emotional lift as well. And what what that did at that point of the year. Could that be that thing for Alabama on Monday night where they get Jalen Waddle back and all of a sudden an Ohio State secondary that has been terrible. It has to be the the single worst pass defense that has ever played a national championship. They allowed 400 passing yards to Trevor Lawrence last week. Let's not pretend that they figured anything out. They're they're ranked in like the bottom of like everything. (laughs) It's It's awful. It's awful. So if that happens and Jalen Waddle, all of a sudden he's out there as well, I just sort of wonder, and I find myself thinking, Bama shouldn't have any problem scoring points. They shouldn't have any problem scoring points. And I think Mac Jones, his quick release time is so important in a game like this where if Ohio State doesn't get home with that defensive line, they're bad. They're real, real bad. And I think that that can be such an important aspect for Alabama. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go along the lines of what we said earlier. I think Ohio State had a a tank game against Clemson, an everything-left-in-the-tank type of game. 
And I think Bama wins. I think Ohio State covers maybe a little bit of a backdoor cover reminiscent of 2015 Clemson where they get the late touchdown and make it look like it's a one-touchdown game, even though it was exciting and high-scoring. But really, it was Bama who who stayed in control of this, and Ohio State didn't necessarily have what it took to be able to stop them. So I will say that Bama wins a national championship, and we get a really entertaining game. All right, let me give you some numbers before I get into this. Make it all dramatic. College football title game underdogs are five and one against the spread in the six years of the college football playoff. Three and three straight up. Those are the underdogs. By the way, the over is five and one. Um, another fun fact: the, the over is seventy-four and a half in this game. Did you see that? Yeah, it's, it came down. It was at seventy-six or seventy-seven, like earlier in the week. Oh my gosh! Um, so again, as underdogs, Ohio State. Uh, as an underdog, is 19-7 and seven against the spread in their last 26 games. They're 11-2 in their last 13. Now let's get to the bad news, Bama fans. You might want to earmuff it here. Um, and if you haven't been able to see this coming, you, I, I don't know if you just didn't watch 2016 or 2018, but Bama is 3-5 is and five straight up in the last eight games they've played as a favorite by seven points or less. 3-5 and five straight up. They're only 2-5-1 against the spread. But again, like any time that number on the left is somehow smaller than the number on the right, when you talk about Bama win-loss, it's, it's surprising. Um, Bama's also 4-7-1 and one against the spread in their last 12 postseason games. And the biggest one, they are 0-4. 0-4 against the spread in their four college football playoff championship games. And they are not covering by an average of 11 points okay um it's not great it has not been great but they you know there's been talk obviously after the 2018 game and what happened last year dynasty dead all that kind of stuff ohio state is a fantastic football team and and you guys know how i feel about the big 10 putting it in so i'm I'm gonna spare you the rant on that but let me just say this stop this narrative about this being some incredible story of overcoming all these obstacles and uh, Somebody said today it was a redemption story for the ages. No, it's not. This is an Ohio State team that has like a roster full of five stars just as much as Bama, Georgia, LSU, any of those teams, right? It's just as talented of a roster. They have a former number one overall player and five-star quarterback that will be a top five pick in the NFL draft at quarterback, right? They've had the fewest amount of games they had to play. They had to play one back-to-back Saturday. They have had seven total games, and they've had every single rule that has stood in their way has been bent in their favor. Ohio State is a fantastic football team. If they win, it'll be because they were a fantastic football team, and I'll say it. But let's stop with this whole, this is the greatest college football story ever, because it's not even as good as the last time your team won the the national title. It's nowhere near (laughs) as good as a 2014 story with Cardell Jones. That being said, I, I, I... I don't know if it's fear or hedging. I want to pick Ohio State. I'm a thousand percent picking them to cover the spread. But Alabama coming into this game, I think Sark is focused. This trio, it's this team is. I think it's just special. I think it's special that secondary, especially, has been really, really good at times. And I think they're favored by seven, but I feel like there's still a chip on their shoulder. And I think this is not a repeat of 2018. And if Jalen Waddle touches the field, it's over. But I don't believe this is a repeat of 2018. And I think you have so much more continuity like with the coaching staff and all that kind of stuff. They're, they're much more focused. And they're the better team. They've earned it. They're going to earn it again on Monday night. 
And I think Bama's going to walk out of Miami with a national championship. Heard it here first. This is going to be a miserable Monday night. (laughs) But you didn't say which Monday night. That's still to be determined at this point. Again, real quick, they they did things their own way. I'm talking about the Big Ten. You shouldn't have punished Ohio State, but they did things their own way. They did things the wrong way, and it turned out to be the easiest way for the entire season, just so we're all clear. Let's end what's been a very tumultuous week on some good news, some positive vibes, something I've, I've wanted to, to share um, with one of our one of our listeners sent my way, and just really cool story. And just you know, if you're looking for something to, to feel a little bit good about humanity, I thought this would maybe do the trick for you. So Kobe Black sent me an email a few weeks ago um, saying I would just like to start off by saying thank you so much for uh, entertaining my request. Uh, I know just from hearing you speak about Hugh Freeze a lot on the podcast that maybe you could help me out. In other words, like me ranting about Malik Willis. Um, So Kobe says, my cousin's name is Jessica Watts. She was one of Coach Freeze's students while he was still at Briarcrest High School. She was also on his team for softball and basketball as well. She always spoke very highly of him and really enjoyed him as a mentor. I'm reaching out to see if there's any way that you could get word to him about her current situation. Jessica has two boys. I forget their ages, um, both under 10, though. Uh, Kobe wanted to make sure. Uh, But earlier in the year, uh, her youngest son, Bo, was diagnosed with having an uh, arachnid cyst on his brain and had to have surgery on his brain to have it removed. Uh, That being a trial in itself, she just found out a couple weeks ago that her older son, Charlie, has been diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma in his shoulder and uh, is currently going through chemo for treatment. So it's been a really tough year for her and her family. I uh, just thought maybe it would be a great gesture if Coach Freeze could reach out to her, if nothing else, just to say hello. I know it really would mean a lot to her um, and, and to Kobe as well. So thank you all for all your help. Um, so basically, um, I, I sent an email to Liberty's SID. I sent an email saying, hey, um, know of a couple, uh, a couple of kids right now who could really just use uh, – use just a, a hello something, um, somebody from Hugh Freeze's, uh, Hugh Freeze's rise in the head coaching ranks, and would just really mean a lot if you could do, if you could do something. So that was kind of in the midst of him, you know, going through all this coaching carousel type of stuff, and he's rumored for all these different jobs. And then I got an email from, uh, from Kobe, and Jay Woody shared this with me as well. Um, Hugh Freeze sent them a pair of signed Liberty jerseys, and the picture, I should post this to, to the Facebook group, just such a cool, cool thing to be able to see. And for, for anyone who has dealt with uh, any sort of cancer or anything where you've had to watch a loved one struggle and you know that there have been some really, really tough days, you know that just a little, a little tiny gesture like that from somebody in the limelight taking a few minutes out of their day to be able to kind of help you out like Hugh Freeze did can make all the difference. And I, I just thought that that was just such a cool thing that he did. I know we've we've talked a lot about Hugh Freeze and like we've had our jokes about him in the past, but it's good to kind of see when the human aspect of this is able to come out. So wishing the best for uh, for the Watts family. Hope, hope that you're doing all right. Hope that you're safe, happy, and healthy. Um, you know, through the holidays, through the new year, and that everything is going well. But I just wanted to, to share that information. I, I really appreciate Kobe for being able to just reach out just because I had made a few random comments about Malik Willis on the podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, I wish that I knew this was going to be about that. This is uh, the two-year anniversary that we found out Allie's dad was terminally ill with cancer. So um, I, I, I'm going to... I gotta go. 
so for anyone who's dealing with with loss or anything like that and if if you know thank you so much to to, to anybody that has reached out with it, with anything like that any any sort of request just know that we're you know we're hopefully able to provide some sort of joy throughout the course of your day and, and we appreciate all of you we really really do so um, yeah, that is the final podcast that we will be recording before the national championship. We will be recording again next Tuesday morning. So be on the lookout for that. We have a lot of great coverage coming down the pipeline um, this weekend through um, everything national championship related. If you're not following all of our stuff on social media, Saturday Down South, you totally should be at SDS, at SEC Football, at Vern Funquist, at the SDS Pod, at CG O'Gara on Twitter. Join our Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group. Great and growing community. Um, appreciate everybody who has done that. Marlon, what is the one thing that we need to remember? It might mean too much. Talk to you guys soon.